This is Shane Gibson's podcast from ClosingBigger.net. Today we've got Jim Keenan on the show. Jim, thanks a lot for joining us. Hey, my pleasure. Thank you, thank you, thank you. It's going to be fun. So I, I'm excited to have Jim, uh, Jim on the on here on the show, and this is one of the reasons why is Jim is one of my favorite, probably top ten in my opinion. He's one of the top ten thought leaders in the sales space online. Period. And I follow his stuff, his in-depth studies he's done on social selling, um, and also his his no BS uh, shows and rants on the internet. I find extremely refreshing. <laughs> And, and so I'm excited because Jim's got a, a new book coming out, uh, which I've had a, a bit of a chance to have a, a quick sneak preview, but I'm looking forward to digging into the rest of it over the next few weeks. But the book's called Not Taught, What It Takes to Be Successful in the 21st Century That Nobody's Teaching You, with a foreword actually written by one of my other favorite guys on the internet, Chris Brogan. And so, Jim, um, before we get rolling, I thought maybe you'd let us know a little bit about how did you get into this space? How did you get into doing what you're doing today as a as a sales thought leader with a sales guy? You know, th- thanks for having me, Shane. Uh, love talking with you. Every time I get into Canada, I try to connect with you. We never make it happen, so we need to make that happen. Um, Ski season, man. You know, we got to do it. Yes, it's ski season. And our relationship is is sort of uh, representative of what I talk about in the book and also how I got into the space. So to answer your question, the the Reader's Digest version, and it's not going to be much longer before that phrase goes out of style because no one knows what the hell Reader's Digest is. But outside of that, um, the Reader's Digest version is I was a head of sales and I had gone through a layoff. And uh, who had been purchased was a merger and they let go of most of the sales uh, organization for the incumbent sales organization. So um, thinking I would have no problem getting a job, I just went out and started looking. I had always crushed it. I had been wildly successful. So I said, no problem. But for whatever, whatever crazy reason, it took me almost a year. And I did not like that at all. And so I, I had just gotten married. I had a new baby. We were building a house. I mean, the stress was through the roof. So I thought to myself, you know what? I'm going to start a blog. And I'm going to share my, in, my knowledge, my experience, and the things that are going on in the job on this blog. And the thought was, if I do this for you know, a year, year or two, and I get a couple hundred, maybe a thousand followers, that would be great. And if I ever needed a job again, I'd have all these people who knew who I was. My content would have spoken for itself, right? I wouldn't have to like, send a resume out. These people are like, oh, I know this guy. I've been reading his stuff. He's great. Well, lo and behold, rather than that being the outcome, the outcome be started being people like you started taking notice, client, uh, companies called me up and said, hey, I've read this post, I'm following this, we need help, we struggle with this, can you help us? And within two years, I was getting you know, lots of tension written up and it just sort of took off. And then oddly enough, we went through another merger, a global uh, European company bought the company I was working with, once again, let the entire sales team go. And I had a choice. I could go get another job or I could follow this consulting path. And that's what I did. So that choice, um, that's something that people face all the time. And they say things like, well, I haven't got enough money saved up yet that I can jump off and do my own thing. Or now's not the right time. Or what's your advice to these people? What did you go through? And what's your advice in making that decision to, to kind of choose to go the path you've gone versus start knocking on doors again with your resume. Well, okay, so the, 
it notice notice the 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 circumstances of events. And I think most people are right. Right. I would say now, with looking back, anybody who says I'm going to go and be a consultant or I'm going to go and start my own business, and they haven't been saving up tons, even if they've been saving up tons of money, unless it's something like a you know a coffee shop or something like it, I think you're an idiot because it wasn't the money that allowed me to start this business. It's that I had spent two years building a brand before I made that choice to go do it. So really, the idea was with with a, two years of a brand under my belt, the decision to go and start you know start the consulting business versus the decision to start knocking on doors with my resume was really a no-brainer because each one was going to take me about the same time. And actually, it took me less time to land my first consulting client than it would have taken me to get a job. So it really wasn't the capital or lack of capital that made the decision. It was simply my brand had been developed over two years, so it was just an easy. Easy, easy to just to say, okay, ooh, step right over here. And this is, you know, and that's part, what I talk about in the book. This analogy so. will probably go with the along with the Reader's Digest analogy, but uh, is you know, dig the well before you need the water, right? Uh, and, and that's and that's the, the key here is that you you built a personal brand before you needed it, and I think that that's the challenge I see with a lot of people. They're like, look, I've got, I got, I just built my own website. I got, I got a, a month to uh, to bring in business before I'm out of cash, <laughs> and uh, and they've got no yes. tribe. And I don't know how many authors I've seen who, you know, approached me saying, hey, I, I've launched a new book. Um, my publisher says I should learn about this social media stuff and to market the book. And I'm, you know, I, you know, it's never too late to start, but it's probably late for that book. And so I think that's an awesome lesson. Is you know, for me. Uh, as I hear you talk, is if some if you want to you know launch yourself into the space as a consultant or an entrepreneur, especially as a thought leader, you got the best time to start is today. You know, even if you're not going to do it for another your, couple yes. Of years. Yes, your social brand, your social presence always has to be six months to a year ahead of where you are. That's a great quote. So your social presence has to be six months to a year before before. Uh, Ahead of say it again. Ahead, ahead of where you are now. Yep. Yes. And that's mm-hmm. that's awesome. And I think you'll probably see that on one of my slides with your picture below it. In my next seminar because that <laughs> that is that is such a golden piece for me right there. So this book. So mm-hmm. I, I was you know reading through and I saw some. Tell us about what the book's about. I've got my idea what the book's about, and I, I got a couple pieces I want to ask you questions about. But what what kind of made you so passionate that you wanted to invest? probably months of your life putting this together and marketing it and sharing it with the world. Um, what's the core passion behind this book and message that that you want to share? So let's separate the passion from the message. So the passion was uh, that there is tremendous opportunity out here for people today. Like I think about my world today and if it weren't for social media, I, I wouldn't be as successful as I am today because in the, like, what I do in the book is I talk about the transition from the industrial age to the information age and the opportunities that the information age is creating for people if they know what to do. And I realize that no one's teaching people this. No one's telling them it's really changed. It's, it's changing, but no one is really addressed or taking a look at how it's affecting work, how it's affecting how to find work, how to uh, grow your success, how to capitalize on opportunities, and nobody is doing that. No one's teaching anybody that, right? So the passion for me was, oh my God, this is huge. Like People can change their lives with this. They, they, they don't have to be victims. They don't have to be beholden to 
to the way things were. They don't have to take six months to find a new job. They don't have to uh, work in a job forever that they hate. They don't have to, um, you know, wait for a publisher to give them permission to publish a book. They don't have to wait for a, an, uh, an agent to, to make them a superstar, right? I mean, whatever it is you want to do, you can go do it. Unlike back in the old days where you couldn't. And so that transition, that the, all those opportunities where the passion came from, the, um, the reason I wrote the book, if you will, is because I realized that nobody was really teaching these things. They were sort of floating around in the ether independently. Well, everybody knows we moved from the industrial age to the information age. Everybody knows the internet exists. Everybody knows that Justin Bieber uh, became famous because of YouTube. But no one's, no one's really sat and strung it all together and said, wait a minute. All the rules have changed, and you're still operating from the old rules. You lost your job, so you send out your resume, and you've got six connections on LinkedIn because you never even thought about it. <laughs> right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, you it's, could tell. You could tell. I always can tell who in my network is thinking about looking for a new job because all of a sudden they update their LinkedIn. But yes. it's a week before they get laid off or quit. It's not two years before where yeah. they're building it's relationships. Like so I love this yeah. this statement. Like the statement you make. Um, right in the introduction of the book is, and this is kind of the headline, and I want you to talk about this. I'm curious, what is it we're in the dark with? Is it if you're over 30, you're in the dark, and no one is teaching you? What are you talking about here? What are they in the dark about? What are two or three things that about no one's teaching them? What it mean? What it's going to take to be successful in this new world, right? So let's go with one. Let's go with one of the things no one's teaching you, right? One of the things that no one's teaching you is that experience matters less and less. And it's your expertise that people want, right? For a long, in the industrial age, we relied on experience because it was almost impossible to measure someone's expertise. So what we did is we, we said, oh, look, they've got 10 years experience. And what we did in that environment is we uh, applied an assumption of what we thought that person uh, gleaned from those 10 years, right? 10 years selling, so he's probably a pretty good salesperson. He's probably experienced it, done this and done that and da da da. And so we made an assumption. Well, now in the information age, with the access of information, we don't have to rely on experience as much anymore. Because if you have a powerful brand, if you have, if you're blogging, if you've built reach, if, if, you're, if you're engaging in social media, if you're engaging on, on LinkedIn, you have the ability to show, to demonstrate your expertise. And so now I don't have to worry about experience. I need to, I can just focus on your expertise. So rather than moving through life, thinking about experience is this time card thing. Do my time. I talk about in the book, in the industrial ages, it's punch card after punch card. It's, it's morning after morning. It's day after day. And I'm getting, I'm building this experience, whether or not I'm actually applying expertise to it. David Dunn gave me a great quote when I had him on my show. He said, look, there are people with 10 years experience and two years expertise, whether other people with um, two years ex experience in 10 years expertise. Stop focusing on your experience and stop focusing on your expertise. Grow your knowledge base. So this is one example, right? Another one is, this is like a millennial one, um, results versus time, right? Employers don't want your time anymore. They don't care how long it takes you. Please don't tell me you worked on that all night. Please don't talk about how hard you're working. Tell me what you've actually done. Absolutely. Tell me what you've actually Go look I, I, in the book. I say, go look at your LinkedIn or your resume. And I got a hundred dollars that says things like responsible for, worked with, participated in. They're all time oriented action verbs, right? 
How many of them say finished, delivered, completed, authored, built, created? Absolutely. How many times do you use those words? And you talk about... And why don't we... Yes, sir. And, and, and I think that this is, along with that, along with, you know, being results-driven, and it is a world of expertise, um, you also don't want to be your own best-kept secret. And so in your book, you're talking yes. about really what is the reach revolution, and that is more important than cash is your reach. And could you expand upon that, what that means um, for this audience, whether I'm a sales professional, business owner, um, entrepreneur, uh, what is this reach yeah. revolution you're talking about? So, so great points. That's, that's a way that the new, uh, the information age of the 21st century has changed drastically because we have the ability now to influence large swaths of people. Reach in the industrial age was owned by a very few group of people. Okay, reach is a powerful, powerful asset. It's probably the most valuable non-monetary asset in the world. And here's why. Think I, I talk in the book about um, um, the the paper magnet. Um, why am I spacing his name now? Um, uh, it'll come to me in one second, right? The gentleman owned all the newspapers. Um, oh my gosh, it'll come to me in a second. So, and the reason he was one of the richest people in the world is because he owned all these newspapers. And what makes a newspaper valuable? The print? Is it the print that makes a newspaper valuable? No, it's the reach. It's William right? Hearst, by the way. Yeah, yeah William yes, Hearst, that's right. Actually, yes, it's the, it's the fact that people actually read the paper. So I pay you to put an advertisement if you could get me in front of so many people. The, the amount of people you can get in front of is a powerful, powerful asset. During the industrial age, it was almost impossible for the average person to generate reach. It was almost impossible. It was guarded like gold. You had, you had the newspapers and your big publishing companies. Randolph Hearst was one of the richest people in the world because he could touch millions of people. You had your radio and that was about it. And then as you moved through, you know, into the 50s, 60s, 70s and 80s, then you had publishers. You had the movie studios. All of these people had reach, and they decided who got to um, play, right? They, they picked our movie stars for us. They picked our books for us. So if you, weren't, if you couldn't penetrate that, you had no reach. And even when you did penetrate, they would tell you how to act. They would make you change your name. They would do all the stuff, right? So that, they owned that reach, and it was worth billions and billions and billions of dollars. And then all of a sudden, come, now we're in the in information age, and the internet age, and now anybody can build that reach. So back to make this more micro, remember when you asked me what made me decide to move into consulting versus go find another job? Yeah. I had built a microcosm of reach where there were thousands of people who were interested in my selling techniques, my approach to building business um, sales organizations, how I fix sales organizations. And so I was able to influence enough people that they would pay me money to be a consultant. So it wasn't one day saying, hey, look, I've got 200 grand in the bank, I got a million bucks in the bank, I'm gonna go start a consulting company because I have the time to build it. It was, I have this audience, this engaged audience that I can reach out to, that I can influence, that will pay me, or connect me with someone who will pay me, and so I can start the business now. So 
I think about, and this is, you know, maybe for those, our listeners here who are building their audience and uh, maybe they are moving in to be a consultant or they just want to establish themselves as a thought leader in their space. What are, you know, I can think of back in my kind of social media path. I can think of, you know, three, two or three really big events or partnerships or moves that I made that helped kind of blow my reach up, that accelerated the growth of my reach. What are some of the things that you did personally to, I can think of a couple I think that you did, but I want you to tell me, what are some of the things you did and partnerships you developed that that helped you kind of grow your reach geometrically versus in a linear way? So the the most important one or the biggest one, and I'm not even sure, to be completely honest, how they found me. Obviously my blog, but I can't remember who it was or, or why they felt I was worthy, but there was a group that we're in together called STA. And uh, it's a group that, yes, it's a group of other sales thought leaders. And some of these are some pretty big names, you know, Anthony Andarino and uh, David Brock was, I don't know if he's part of the group, but he was a, a leader who was a big fan of mine, started tweeting my stuff. Um, you know, so there was this group of people who already established, Jill Conrad, who already established, and someone from them reached out to me and said, hey, we like what you're doing. We'd like you to be part of our group. And what we do is we just help each other, share each other's stuff, and help each other where we can. So that that recognition then just sort of, like to your point, um, exponentially grew my exposures. People with their own networks said, hey, look at this guy over here. We just found him. He's pretty good. He's young. He's dynamic and blah, blah, blah. So it, it, it was that. It was connecting with other people. And it was then leveraging, obviously, all the social media in the world from Twitter to everything else. But that's that was one of the biggest catapults for me that gave me the uh, what's the word I'm looking for gave me the recognition and to take me to the next level and uh, the other one I saw you do which I thought was brilliant um, and I think in the first year you 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 did it partnered with two different organizations but both times you partnered with some well-known brands in the social selling space is you did your um, your b2b social selling study uh, I think um, this last uh, one yeah. was a quota attainment study, and that was amazing. You partnered with, with KiteDesk this last time around and studied 500 sales professionals. <laughs> and, and I watched your, all of a sudden, the Keenan, who I love to you know hang out with on Twitter, and I love your content, and I've been a fan since you started. I, I remember when you were still blogging and when you first started off in that job, and uh, you know, and then moving into your, on, in on your own. And uh, but when I saw you do that, I thought, man, I wish I did that. That was an awesome idea, and and it was <laughs> it was really great because I watched all of a sudden I turned around and everybody in the social selling space was quoting you, and it was the great thing is is that really what you did is you you invested in creating this one awesome piece of content that just pays and pays and pays, and I think that was that was a really cool move. Anyways, so hats off for that one. But that was a thank you. Um, where would someone go to find that study, by the way? Because I know I talk about it all the time, but do you have a link or what's the best place to find that study uh, for my audience? I mean, I can uh, tell you what I'll do in my blog. Yes. I'll, I'll post a link to that to that for them that they can check that out. And you just you just want to go to a sales guy you. A sales guy, you just says it's spelled A S A L E S guy, you and I have tons of resources there. It's a it's a just a bottomless pit of resources, and you'll see both studies. You can get them independently, or you can download download them as a kit. Fantastic, fantastic. So that was a really cool piece of content. And what I like about it is, and this is what I I noticed about your strategy of, of building reach is it's it's about being of immense value. Um, to your target market, 
And I mean, I know that that took a lot of work to do. And a lot of people would look at the amount of work it takes to do something like that or in-depth white paper. But um, I'm assuming that you're still getting downloads by the hour of that. And it's driving a ton of business for you. You know, it's, it, yes, it, it was, it's, it's a very valid piece from Reach. It's funny, I didn't set out to be, what it's done most is everybody calls me a social selling expert. I, I didn't do that. I just really wanted to answer a question. Does social selling make a difference? That's all I wanted to do. I, I didn't really have any big grand schemes for it. And then the data started coming back and I was like, wow, this is pretty fascinating. Look at this. And so I just started slicing and dicing up. So it was, it was fun to do and it really did. And it was no one had done it before then. That was I just sort of stumbled into it. So because no one had done it, everybody was dying for something they could get their arms around. So I was like, all right, here you go. So Absolutely. It was good. I enjoyed it. So one of the things you talked about, so after you talk about reach, there's also, you know, for me, I always think about how do I get above just being, you know, another Me Too guy creating identical content with other people on the internet because there's so much noise out there. <laughs> and the other thing you talk about is the importance of building the brand of you. Can you speak to that a little bit? Yes. Um, what's, you know, for our audience, we talk about building a brand of you. What does that mean? How do they do that? Okay, so, so brand you is no different than the brand of a product, right? Uh, what I tell people all the time, and I've talked about this long before the internet came out, is you are a product, okay? If you don't like it, sorry. If you think it feels unhuman, sorry. It is what it is, okay? The bottom line is someone pays you to do something, you are a product. And so therefore, they're going through the same um, process in their head on paying you to do something as they do to buy a car, as they do to buy a house, as they do to buy a new piece of software, as they do to, to, um, uh, to any other purchase. They're going through the same process. Is there enough value here for the money I'm going to pay? Will this person make my life easier? Will this person's abilities get the job done that I need to get done? Will I be in a better place with this person than if I didn't have this person? So if you learn to accept that, then all the traditional branding rules apply. You have to stop and say, who's my target market? What value do I deliver? So if I'm an accountant, am I a corporate accountant and do I bring value to the finance team? And to, or am I a small, company accountant, do I bring value at, to the controller, right? And what value do I bring? How am I a better accountant than I am than, than the next person sitting next to me? If there's five of us in the room and we're all accountants, uh, we all know the same information. So what is it that I do with the information? What is it I do with my job that makes me a better accountant? So once you just define this product of you, of what makes you better at delivering value in the field that you choose, you then have to promote that brand, right? I say, look, in the 21st century, you gotta build brand new and promote the shit out of it. Because you have to sell it, just like Tide is to sell Tide and Clorox is to sell Clorox, you gotta sell you. And so therefore, you gotta know your value and then you gotta pick the platforms and mediums to sell that value so that other people see it and say, oh, I want that guy, I want that girl, I want that account, I want that babysitter, I want you know that person over there. So if you can't do that, you're dead. Jim, but but I'm an accountant. What do you mean social media is a must? What do you mean I have to build my? I don't have time to do that. What's your answer to those guys? Good, great. You don't have time. Sit your ass in your seat. And when you need a new job, or you leave that company, pray to God that the person you're competing with didn't actually spend the last two years blogging about the intricacies 
of accounting and how um, how companies can save money by leveraging this particular <laughs> unique uh, gap principle that just came out or how right so because you're sitting there in your seat just doing your job someone else is explaining why they're a damn good accountant absolutely right so one of the things I haven't had to look for, yes I haven't had to look for a job in years but I always said to myself God if I ever had to go back and someone said hey Jim Walk us through your sales process. I can say, wait, you know what? I blogged about that, <laughs> right? Let me tell you what that is. Let me tell you how it matters. And let me send you the link to it so you can go read it yourself. They'll have so much information on me and why I'm great. You know, Jim, why should you hire? Well, I can tell you why, but, you know, did you read my article on Harvard Business Review? Did you see me in Forbes? Did you see that? What do you want to know? Did you read my ebook on on um on um, Colcon, did you read my? Did you see? Did you download my uh, template on how to evaluate and assess sales teams for performance? What do you want to know, man? I don't have to sit in this chair. Just you know what I'm saying. I just say, well, I for ten years I worked here. Yeah. So it's so bad. what you're talking so a big part of it is content. I mean, and that's I guess I'm kind of reading through here, kind of flipping through your book here, is but you know a big part of that. You know, there's reach, and then there's the brand of you deciding who you are. And it sounds to me like you talk a lot in the book about the fact that your vehicle to get there is, is content creation. But the question is, and I get this all the time, is yes. Shane, what do I blog about? Do, do I blog or use YouTube? What should I do? What's your advice on that area? Okay, so there's, there's two questions you just One was the medium. Should I blog or use YouTube? And I'll start that one easier because it's that one first because it's easier. Ask yourself what kind of person are you? Are you a writer? Are you uh uh, oratory, are you animated and visual, right? What, what strengths do you have? And then use the medium that will fit your strengths. So if you're a really good writer, just write. If you got this really big personality, use YouTube. If you're very articulate, but you don't feel you're that visual, that you present yourself on film real well, then do what we're doing here, do a podcast. It really doesn't matter the medium. Just pick the medium that works best for you. And I talk about this in the book. What matters more is the content you choose to produce. And this is one that people don't like to hear. If you can't figure out what to write with, write on, chances are you're not very freaking good. <laughs> you're either super humble and you don't realize how smart you are or you're really not that good. Because I never thought for a second I didn't know what to write about. I was writing like crazy. It took two years or three years before I started struggling with what to write about because I had already written about a lot of stuff. So if you, if you say, well, what, I'm a accountant, what would I write about? If you can't figure out what to write about in an hour, sitting down and thinking, okay, what can I teach people in the accounting space about? If you don't know, then that's the first sign you're not very good and all the more reason you need to get your ass on this train because you, you need to elevate your game. Absolutely. And I, I think it's interesting because it's just – all people tell me, hey, I, I don't know what to write about. And I'm like, okay, well, let's write down the top 20 common questions that people ask your sales team when they call in. Let's start with that. You know, yeah, and in a consulting session, what are the five biggest pains your customers have? I'm like, oh, yeah, I guess I have some content. And it's funny because what most people don't do is that key piece you talked about. When is the last time the average person sat down with a blank sheet of paper and wrote down, you know, five things that they feel the marketplace needs to know about their space. And there's their first blog post, five blog posts. Actually, it's probably their first 50 blog posts. But they don't even just take the time to sit down and think about from through their customer's eyes or through their market's eyes where it hurts or what they need help on. So 
I, I think that you know people are nervous. They're as as as, as Seth Godin talks about. They're they're sitting there polishing pixels and they're not hitting the the publish button, and uh, and they get paralysis. You know, or analysis paralysis. And this is you know something I see all the time. But it's not good enough to publish. What's your advice for the people who don't feel like their content is not good enough, per perfect enough, effective enough to publish? What's your thoughts on that? How do you get good at it? What's your advice to them? You know what? That is a great question. Just this morning, just this morning, one of my what I call beta readers, I, the book's gone out to over 100 people who are reading it before it's published. He wrote back. He said, Jim, great book. I loved it. It was awesome. And he said, really got me thinking. And he goes, I started, I blogged a few times, I tweeted a few times, but I really haven't done with it because I'm afraid people won't like it. And that is a very real emotion. And, and here's what I say to people, who cares, right? Just start writing, just start writing. Now, to off, look, my book hasn't even launched yet. 100 people have read it, uh, including some big names, and I'm getting amazingly positive feedback, but I'm still sweating in my pants the day this launches, and I'm and afraid I'm only gonna sell 50 copies because nobody likes it. <laughs> so you'll never escape, right? You'll never escape this fear of failure. You'll never escape this fear that people aren't going to like your stuff. So what you have to do is you just have to start and you have to be committed to putting out the best content you know is good. And this goes back to that point where I was being kind of harsh with people like saying, if you don't know what to write, it's probably not very good. The power of building a brand and the power of, of leveraging, creating content is it by default elevates your game. You have to be aware of what you know. You can't be on cruise control, right? If you're going to write a blog post about a sales process or how to overcome an objection, you, and you have that fear. That fear is pretty good. You're not just going to put out a piece of crap. You're really going to think long and hard about how you describe overcoming an objection because you know that if you put out crap and everybody sees it, they're going to call you on it. So what do you do? You, you have your own belief. You might go do a little research, read a few things, say, oh, you know what? I forgot this piece. That's a great point. And then you go at it. And then you get the feedback that says, one person said that was stupid, 10 that says it was good, you focus on the 10 that said it was good and you do it again. That's awesome. And I think it's, it goes back to that, writers learn by writing too, you know? And that's the thing, is it just makes your game better. You study harder, right? And, and I think that's it, key. Yes. And, and the more you do it, the better it you get. Absolutely ups your game, absolutely. You, I, I, I often wonder, like I, my blog started back in 2004, and if you dig back to, in my, I've got the dates. You can click on my blog, and you can read some of the stuff that I wrote in 2004. I mean, it's not bad, uh, but I often wonder: should I delete it? You know, it's. it's <laughs> but it's it's great to watch the, how you evolve as you practice your craft of sharing content. And I think, you know, there's an evolution. Uh, if you watch Gary Vaynerchuk's wine library videos, which is one of my favorite yes. series of marketing. Yes. Watch his first five videos and then watch video number like 148 and then watch video number 180 and watch the evolution. So I think people are going to get better at it too. But And this goes back to chapter five in your book. They have to have the balls to make it happen. And I think that's kind of what it means, right? Is that You have to pull the trigger and get started. Um, do you have any tips to kind of get over that fear, you know, or any, you know, thoughts around um, how to get someone beyond that little hump where they're afraid to get going? You know, in, in that chapter isn't even just about starting um, a social media presence. That is about 
taking any risk at all. Right now, I actually tell a story in there about Lauren Luke. She's a, uh, a makeup artist slash makeup guru. She was this like English girl from the UK, 16 or 17. She was a single mom. Uh, she was, as, as she described, portly. She said she had the worst high school experience ever because she was poor. She was fat. Everybody made fun of her. They treated her like crap. She didn't have good fashion because she was, you know, didn't have a lot of money. And um, she was trying to figure out a way to spend time with her son and make a living. And she was a dispatch for a taxi company, and that sucked. And she did a couple other things that all sucked. And one day she saved up just enough money to um, try to start selling makeup online, on YouTube, or online, I should say. And um, it kind of went okay. You know, she was kind of making small things. And then she decided, well, wait a minute, what if I do a YouTube video um, with pictures of the makeup? Uh, not YouTube videos, so just pictures of the makeup. So she started creating a place where you could actually see the makeup. And then all of a sudden, when you started showing the makeup, or people wearing the makeup, it took off even more. And then she's got this idea, what if I show people how to apply it? So she started her YouTube channel showing people how to actually apply the makeup. Well, fast forward, I don't know how long it's been, six, seven, eight years now, whatever. She has a deal with Sephora. She is, she has her, you know, an avatar in a video game. And, but think about what I talk about in the book is think about the precipice. That spot where this girl who had been ridiculed her whole life about her appearance has to make the decision to put herself out there publicly putting on makeup in front of potentially millions of people. And she did it. Had she not done that, she would not be where she is today. So when I talk about, you know, have the balls to make it happen, in that chapter, my whole point is if you want to be successful, you have to take risks. You have to be comfortable being uncomfortable. There is no success in safety. And think about how most of us, now look, think about the industrial age, because remember this whole book is predicated on the idea of moving from the industrial age to the information age. During the industrial age, we prized people who didn't take risks. The pace of change was so much slower, right? So a risk was costly because you, um, you didn't have to take that risk. Things went so slow, you could do it in chunks, right? If you, didn't, if you didn't get it right away, it was okay. You could sort of iterate and do it later because nothing went too fast. Now things go so fast that if you think you just sit and take your time, it's over before you get started, right? So this whole idea of being able to move quickly and, and, and change is critical in the 21st century. So in order to do that, you have to be willing to take chances. You have to be willing to take risks. You have to be willing to put yourself out there because the steady eddy, play it safe. We think about the, the language we used in just 10 years ago, right? Um, don't upset the apple cart. Just get in the job and do it well and you'll stay there for 20 years. And this whole idea of... of being safe and not rocking the boat was prized. It's not that way anymore. So part of being safe, and I think about like learning new skills as is is learning how to sell. Is the need for people yes. today to sell? You you talk about this in the book, and and I you know of course I was born and my dad was a motivational sales speaker. I was like literally born into the business. Like people say, how'd you get started, Shane? I'm like genetics. <laughs> uh, so, but, so selling to me was I had to sell in order to be able to talk at the dinner table because there was like four of us trying to talk at the same time. But you know, not everybody grows up in that environment. Some people are resistant to learning to sell 
and you know they don't they say hey I've got a degree and uh, I'm a I'm a you know a computing engineer. Do I really need to learn how to sell, or I don't want to learn how to sell? Does everybody should everybody be selling? Do we all need that skill? That's the question. So the yes, and the question is everybody already is selling, and everybody already was selling. They just didn't recognize it, and they weren't doing it as often. But the number one sales job of every person in this world who is not a salesperson is arguably the job interview. If you don't think you're selling when you're going to get a job, something tells me you're not very good at much of anything, right? When I got my wife to marry me, that was a sales job. Getting my kids to eat their broccoli, that's a sales job. What clothes did Getting you use the, on the your boss wife? To con- I'm just curious, what clothes did you use? Yeah, right? Did you use the urgency clothes or... The puppy dog clothes. <laughs> <laughs> Dude, I used the new school one. I got, I built up so much demand that when it was time for the clothes, she was ready for the clothes. <laughs> there you go. That's. That, I think that's the right answer. I think that's the right answer. Good answer. Yes. Yeah. She was ready. Um, so, so we had always, we've always been selling. We just didn't realize it was selling. Number one. And so. If you, like using your example, I'm a coder, I'm an IT guy, and I'm a programmer, and I have my degree, why do I need to learn how to sell? And I would say, okay, let me ask you this question. What, what, do you, um, code, what coding language do you use, Ruby on Rails? What is the best coding language for developing a SaaS application for B2C that's not going to grow any larger than you know, X amount of users and move this much data? Oh, my God, easily, Ruby on Rails. So great, you start working for a company and they're looking to build a SaaS application like that, but they want to use Python. If you can't sell, how are you going to get them to use Ruby? Absolutely. And it's and I think that's, that's key. selling people. Yeah, absolutely. And mm-hmm. I so I think that sales is is really, you know, I, I often look at it as it's the ability to connect with another person and create an environment where an act of faith can take place. And it's about building that credibility. Now, what if I took what if I took it a step further, Shane? Shane, yes. what if I took your definition of sales a step further? Sales is the ability to influence change, and that's a big one. And I think that's actually a, a huge one: is influencing change. And I mean, I think on both sides of the fence, um, you know, we're so resistant to change, and then it's helping people kind of not, maybe not do what they want, but do what they need to do in a lot of cases as well. Um, so. Mm-hmm. Kind of next, kind of moving through the book here and just kind of looking at um, what you've covered and what you've talked about. And this is a big one for me is, you know, a lot of people after they finish school, after they finish university, a lot of people don't pick up another book for a long darn time. And, uh, and, I, and I see that. Um, and I, I have people say to me, how do I sell to CEOs? And I'm like, well, do you read Forbes? Do you read Fortune? Do you subscribe to the blog posts that they subscribe to? Um, do you know, you know, what kind of conversations? And do you speak their language? Well, well, no. What books do you read? And they're like, well, <laughs> you know, not a lot actually. I'm, you know, I'm more of a, I like to watch stuff, you know. And and so I think, you know, you talk about deliberate learning, and that's part of the formula. Do you have any tips on learning? Do you have any insights on learning you could share with their audience to make them better learners or better lifelong learners? You know, <laughs> I I'm gonna answer the question shortly, and then I'll come from the back door. I don't have tips on learning because I think learning is a very personal thing, right? It's auditory, kinesthetic, or visual is like the, the, the major framework. What I talk about in my book 
that I'm really, I really emphasize is what you just sort of referenced. It's a commitment to learning. You know, I almost didn't write this chapter, but as I thought about the industrial age versus the information age, in the industrial age, think about this, Shane, learning was a lot more difficult. If you wanted to learn something, in most cases, you had to literally get your ass up out of the chair and go to the library, right? I mean, you actually, there, there was a lot of physical work. Um, most of our learning took place from kindergarten to the end of college. And that's why college was so important to the industrial age, because universities had the greatest concentration of knowledge from a proximity perspective. I go to school, I've got professors and books and libraries all right here. And so I can have access to it and I can get it done, right? And those who didn't go to school, their ability to learn or college, their ability to learn with those who did go to college was substantially hindered. They didn't have access to the professors. They didn't have access to the curriculums. They didn't have access to the content. And so even if they were really smart, the chances of them acquiring that level of knowledge and learning at an accelerated rate was severely stunted. In the information age, that's not true anymore. You can learn anything you want with a keystroke in seconds. And so there was absolutely no excuse for not learning. And so therefore, one of the most strategic success elements is deliberate learning. It says, what don't I know? What is my gap in knowledge and understanding as it relates to what I do? And let me fill that gap to propel myself forward. And when I'm done with that, ask the question again, okay, now what's my next gap? Go learn it and propel myself forward. Yeah, fantastic. So learning, let's talk about some sources for learning. Obviously, your book comes out when? When do we launch it? What's the launch date of your book where people can order it online and have it delivered to their house or their office or to their Kindle? Just, I'm gonna say December, 15th. It might be early. I'm shooting for December 1st, but you know, you, you got to rely on other people. And with the holidays, I'm getting nervous. So we'll yep. say December 7th. We'll see the difference. December 7th. December 7th. So the book is on December 7th. So mm -hmm. Not Taught is the title of the book by Jim Keenan, and that's K-E-E-N-A-N. -E -E uh, you can just give him a holler on Twitter, at Keenan as well, and I'm sure he'd love that. Um, Jim, other than your book, which would be the first one I suggest people pick up, from a lifelong learning perspective, um, who are the best thought leaders or pieces of insight that you would suggest people pick up? Who, who, who are your go-to gurus and thought leaders that help you build an inspired life that they should also be tapping into? So let me be cheesy. Let me be cheesy and say that get not taught and in the back, I have a whole section where I list the thought leaders in each of the chapters. Page 143, right? actually. So, <laughs> yes, right? And so, so rather than me saying the ones I like the best, you can read the book and you can say to yourself, wow, I need to get better with deliberate learning. And so then you can go in the back and under deliberate learning, I list um, some people you can follow. I list people you can follow for reach, for brand you, uh, change. Every chapter has a resource or multiple resources, peoples or studies or books or all of the above that can help you learn to get better in that particular area. Fantastic. Well, Jim, one last tip. If you had one last piece of insight to share with the audience here on really competing and excelling in this environment today and six months ahead from today, um, what would that be? 
What's that one piece of advice you'd love to give the audience? Um, macro, from a macro perspective, is own it. There's never better, never been a better time and an easier time, to be perfectly frank, to, to own and build your own success and not be beholden to a system, whether it's your bosses or uh, a, a education system or an agent or whatever. There's fewer gatekeepers is what I say. Never been a better time. So the first advice is own it. And then the micro piece, build the brand you, build reach, and promote the shit out of it. Excellent. That's fantastic. Jim, thank you very much for being on the show today. Jim, how do people get a hold of you? How do they learn about your book? What's your blog? What's the best way to connect with you? So obviously, if you run Search Man to Jim Keenan, you'll find me anywhere. You can find the book at nottop.com. As you said, I'm on Twitter at, hey, um, sorry, at Keenan on Twitter. Um, and then a salesguide.com is my sales blog and site. So um, any one of those places. But for the book, nottop.com. Fantastic. Well, thanks again, Jim, for coming yeah. on the show. Thank you, my man. I really appreciate it. It was awesome. fun. Well, this is Shane Gibson's podcast from ClosingBigger.net. You can find notes and links to this show at ClosingBigger.net. And you can also follow me on Twitter at Shane Gibson.